Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted it and did not deny it, and admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say to this for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were sent also. And they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, your Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. There is one among you, among, among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me. Scandal strap, I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptized. The Gospel of the Lord. that they were to take a land. 
sacrifice the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. And those who did this in faith would be saved by the blood of the lamb. And then they were to take and take unleavened bread to take with them on the journey that would feed them on the way. This, what seems to us a very strange scene, is God preparing us for the true exodus in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, by whose blood we are saved, and the Eucharist becomes our bread for our journey as we travel from slavery of sin to the desert this life our promised land. After the people escaped from uh, Egypt, the first thing, one of the first things Moses does is ratify the covenant with a scene, a ritual, taking blood and sprinkling blood on the people and on the altar. And he uses the word that this is the blood of the covenant. Same word that Jesus is going to use at the Last Supper. This is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And after the Exodus, little as not as well known, Moses goes up on the mountain with the elders and eats the living bread, and the bread that came down with the man in the presence. All these things were scattered. What God was going to do in the New Testament history. And so you know that the Eucharist was instituted by Jesus at the Last Supper, and the Last Supper was a Passover meal. Now, do you think it's just coincidence that Jesus died on the Passover? That he came into Jerusalem for the last time and was to be arrested? He came into Jerusalem. On Palm Sunday, the crowd saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, we also hear at the Mass. And he came into Jerusalem the same time the Paschal lambs are brought into Jerusalem to be ready for the preparation day. And according to John's Gospel, Jesus died the same time that the lambs are slain for the Passover meal. Jesus is the Lamb of God. These coincidences, this foreshadowing, are not coincidences. It is God's divine providence at work, teaching us what He meant to do from all time to establish our salvation, the new Passover, in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice in which we continue to share through all time and space by the Eucharist and manna. And in John chapter 6, Jesus tells us exactly that. John's Gospel doesn't have a Last Supper. Seems like an omission. But really what John is doing, he is the most advanced of all the Gospel writers with the mystical insight. He tells us in chapter 6 what the Last Supper really is. The new exodus, the new man from down from heaven. Other passages in the, old, in the New Testament that I think are helpful in 1 Corinthians, you hear that Paul, when he establishes churches, taught them to break the bread, to establish the Eucharist. From the very earliest days when Christ said, Do this in remembrance of me, the church, 
the beginning. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, says that the early community took the prayers in the temple and then they went to their homes for the breaking of the bread. And most powerfully, I think, is Luke, chapter 24. We spoke about it last week. When Jesus shows up with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he explains Scripture to them on the road, the liturgy of the Word, and then they recognized him in the breaking of bread, the liturgy of the Eucharist. And then as soon as they recognized him, he vanishes from their sight. As if to be teaching us that this is now the bread is how you are to see me for all the people I see here. It is powerful. It is not persuasive. To say the Eucharist is truly the body and blood of Jesus. It's his body, soul, and divinity. I want to talk a little bit more about this idea. It's a sacrament. And in the Catholic Church, you know, we love the sacrament. But I don't know about you. In my life, it's been years to fully appreciate really what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a divine reality truly present in our physical world. And so it is what it symbolizes. And we can only know that by faith. But the way we believe this happens is, especially in the Eucharist, is because Jesus makes it happen. Okay? There is an apostolic succession from Jesus to the apostles, to all the bishops, including until today, and a bishop ordains me. And so there is literally a laying on of hands that goes all the way back to Jesus with every sacrament celebrated in the Catholic Church. Humans are body, soul, and spirit. God entered into our humanity to save us completely, not just spiritually, not just giving us doctrine, but He joined His very presence to our very presence so that we may share in His everlasting life. It's a combination. It's a touch. And that touch literally happens in the sacraments because of the apostolic succession over the years. And so just as Jesus spoke at the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood, he still speaks in his church that he founded on the apostles and has been passed down to ordination, the laying out of hands and then the anointing of oil ever since he rose, he rose and ascended into heaven. We say the Eucharist is trans-historical. It makes present for all time in this sacrament, or in other words, mystery, God's life, death, and resurrection. And it becomes the one sacrifice of Christ through all space and time. God has lived outside of time. It's not that hard. It seems incredible to us. It is possible for God to live outside of time and created time. One more thing that I think is helpful that is spoken a lot by theologians. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. See, modern people interpret that very differently than how Jesus interpreted that for the people who heard Jesus. Our modern mind, our mind is the powerful instrument. When we remember something, we take our thoughts and we go back in time and imagine how it might have been or remember what happened. But for Jesus, the people were not as mind-centered. They were more heart and experience-centered. For the Jewish people, what it meant to remember, and they 
did it every year in the Passover, is to bring the past to the present. So those present now can truly experience what the ancestors experienced before. So in the understanding of Jesus, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying that this sacrifice, this last supper, this good Friday, this holy Easter Sunday is going to be made present for all generations to celebrate. Okay, let's go a little bit more detail of the Mass. Liturgy of the Eucharist. It begins, the Liturgy of the Eucharist begins with the bringing up of the gifts. The priest will stand with the altar servers, and what comes forward? Bread and wine and a collection. In the old days, I don't know, maybe money was always given, but it's probably much more likely bread, wine, animals, flowers, grain, fruit, oil, honey, the work of human labor the work of our homes, the work of our fields, representing ourselves in all we do, right? Our offering to God. And even more basically, in the ancient world where Jesus lived, bread really was the most basic food. Sometimes that's all a meal was, was bread and wine. Wine also, a very basic food. And so what that is really saying, to give to another your bread, you're giving your very future life. You're giving your life, your sustenance to another person. So it's a very powerful symbol. To give our bread and wine to God is to give our lives to God. And it is truly an important part of the Eucharist to remember that not only does God give himself to us totally in the Eucharist, body, soul, and divinity, but something else that's happening. If it's the one sacrifice of Christ made present for all, it is Jesus on our behalf giving himself completely in obedience and love to God for the salvation of all. And in our baptisms, we're called to likewise give ourselves to God. But we never do it perfectly. But every single Eucharist, by joining our hearts and souls and spirits to that gift that come up, by giving part of our money, our hard-earned work, we are giving ourselves to the sacrifice of Christ, joining ourselves to the sacrifice of Christ to make of us an offering to God. And although our offering is not perfect because we are sinful, Christ makes it perfect. So the Eucharist is a two-way. We receive from God, but we also give ourselves to God. Christ makes of us an offering. So after the bread and wine received, the priest is going to lift the bread and wine, and you hear the song playing, but he says prayers. They're traditional Jewish prayers from the Passover or from other rituals, since original Judaism was practiced in the home, especially at the table. And the blessing for the bread and wine are, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness, right, God created all that is good, we've received this bread, fruit of the earth, and work of human hands. Same thing with the wine. Fruit of the vine, work of human hands. We are co-creators with God. And the gifts we offer are being offered from God as we utilize to give back to God. And then the prayer priest says a couple things privately which you don't hear. And sometimes I say them out loud. 
One of the trays that the king and his priest does is mix water with the wine. You know how you see that every week? In the old days, it was a very common thing to mix water with wine because the wine became very spiritual in a hot environment. So you'd have to kind of bring it back to life by adding the water. But the prayer that the priest says represents the incarnation. The wine represents divinity. The water represents humanity. And the priest says, by mystery, this water and wine, mystery meaning sacrament, may he come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. The idea of the incarnation, and that's why the Eucharist is so important, is the perpetuation of the incarnation. We are not saved simply by spiritually giving ourselves to God. We're saved by body, soul, and spirit being united to God. And only God dies and rose from the dead. And so only we, if we cling on to God or join to His body, body, soul, and spirit, and die with Christ, and die for ourselves, do we then live in His resurrection. We remain attached to the body of Christ and can die no more. So we see our incarnation that originally is part of the salvation that we have received through Christ in the past. And then another prayer the priest says, with humble spirit and contrite hearts be acceptable, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may our sacrifice in this sight, in, in your sight this day, be pleasing to you, Lord our God. This comes from the Old Testament in many places. One of them is the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're in the fire, before they make a long prayer, because they're becoming an offering to God, they make a prayer very similar to this. In the prophets and some of the Psalms, God says, I detest your animal sacrifice. Sacrifice I want is a humble and contrite heart. And so the priest is acknowledging that Jesus is the end of all animal sacrifices, the true sacrifice is Jesus, and when we join ourselves to Jesus with humble and contrite hearts, we are acceptable to God also, along with Jesus. Then the priest always washes his hands beforehand. This is carried over to the tradition of the Jewish priest in the temple. Before the sacrifice, they would wash their hands. And the prayer of the priest says, is, Wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Because the priest is saying in Psalm 18, Psalm, the Psalms say, Who enters the presence of the Lord goes with clean hands and pure heart. So the priest is remembering that part of our tradition. And then the priest says, Pray, my sisters and brothers, that my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God. Again, it's not just Christ being sacrificed. It's us, it's Christ. Just a few more things, and then we'll stop at the uh, preface. The Lord says, we all stand, don't do it now, but we say, the Lord be with you, lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. The idea of lifting up your heart. One of the things we believe about the liturgy is revealed to St. John in the book of Revelation and in Isaiah. The heavens opened, and they saw a vision of the heavens. And what they saw was very similar to what we do at every single Mass. We believe that this Mass is not only the Mass and the celebration and the worship of God on earth, but the saints and angels are praying with us. If you lift up your heart, recognize that we're joining heaven, saints and angels. 
and they give God thanks, it's right and just. This is a very powerful thought. God has everything, right? Nothing we can give God that God doesn't already have, except one thing. Thank you. 